Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler. This time I'm talking about Season 2, Episode 12, The Miracle of Christmas Part 2, which is the last episode of Timeless, for now. I will continue to say, for now, because we all live in hope that we might get more Timeless someday. If you want to watch this episode right now, it's available on Hulu if you're in the USA, or in the UK you can watch it on Netflix. In the UK there's also a DVD box set collecting all the episodes of the show. Or wherever you are, you can probably buy digital downloads in HD. I've not seen any official statements or news about Timeless recently. Malcolm, Abigail and Matt did do an online rewatch of Hollywoodland recently, which was a lot of fun. Otherwise, the actors are all keeping busy in other shows, which is nice to see. I thought I'd mention a few things. Uh, Abigail Spencer is in a series called Reprisal, which is on Hulu in the USA. No broadcast for this yet in the UK, but I have seen the first episode and I enjoyed it. You might think Abigail has been cast against type for this as a kind of femme fatale. But I think she does bring to it a similar kind of charm and accessibility that she brought to Timeless. Malcolm Barrett has appeared in various things, episodes of Weird City, Santa Clarita Diet and The Boys. He will be playing Ted White, who was Aretha Franklin's husband, in a new series of Genius coming up soon. Matt Lanter has been doing voice work for the new Star Wars The Clone Wars series and is working on a show called Jupiter's Legacy which looks like a big ensemble superhero show. Claudia Dumit has also been doing some voice work and is in some new films and she will be appearing in season two of The Boys. Sakina Jaffrey is in something called Defending Jacob which I think is a thriller. That has a really interesting cast, actually, including Chris Evans, Michelle Dockery, and others. Patterson Joseph is in Noughts and Crosses, which has had a big impact here in the UK. Annie Wershing has been back on TV in Runaways for its third season. Like Malcolm, Goran Viznich has appeared in a whole range of things, including an episode of Doctor Who, playing Nikola Tesla, which I thought was a lot of fun. And Tony Glanz has appeared in a series called Hightown and I think is in a couple of other pilots that are in production. The writing team from Timeless is also keeping busy. Eric Kripke is obviously working on The Boys. Sean Ryan is on SWAT. Lauren Greer is working on the new series Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector. Jim Barnes is on The Walking Dead. Anka Fell Saunders is working on Star Trek Discovery for its third season. Some of the writers have moved away from sci-fi and genre shows, and I think the variety of what they're doing now says something about the range of the writers who came together to work on Timeless. I guess all the cast and crew will be relishing doing other things, but I sure wish they were back on Timeless. Speaking of which, I'm supposed to be here to talk about Timeless, so let's get to it. This is Season 2, Episode 12, The Miracle of Christmas, Part 2. Mm-hmm. 
The episode starts with the wreckage of a helicopter crash. Lucy wakes up Wyatt. She has figured out that the pilot was working for Emma. Apparently Wyatt managed to wrestle the controls from him and save them all, although the helicopter still crashed and the pilot was killed. This all sounds very exciting, but sadly it happened between the last episode and this one, so we didn't get to see any of that. Gia has a piece of shrapnel in her leg, which she has no hesitation in pulling out. Rufus is wondering when Gia became so tough. She says, Chinatown. Her friend Molly taught her. Rufus wonders what happened to this Molly. Gia says she died of bubonic plague. She looked it up. This is certainly a tougher Gia, and there is a hint of bitterness too. Wyatt hears on the radio that the Meredith Victory sailed as planned the day before, with 14,000 refugees. So it appears Rittenhouse had no interest in that. The time team were lured to North Korea in 1950, purely as a trap for them. They decide there is nothing for them to do here and they should return to the lifeboat and go home. We cut to Agent Christopher and Connor Mason. They discovered at the end of the last episode that the time team were all killed in North Korea. Mason says he won't accept that. Denise says she's not accepting anything. She finds a record of them being in the crash on December 24th, but then they're killed on the 25th by Chinese troops in the massacre of Usong-ri. Uh, this massacre is a made-up thing, apparently, despite the general historical accuracy through most of the episode. Agent Christopher says they need to get to them before they're killed on the 25th. They don't have a time machine themselves, but Rittenhouse does, and Rittenhouse has a pilot. Mason thinks that no doubt Emma will be delighted to help them, if only she wasn't the one trying to kill them all. In 1950 Korea, Rufus is chatting with Lucy as they trudge through the snow. In his timeline, Lucy and Wyatt were a couple after Hollywoodland. He wants to know if Team Lyatt is getting back together again now. She's baffled by the reference. Not helped by him trying to compare them to characters from Star Wars, Lord of the Rings and Twilight. She says, It's not like they got into a fight. He was married to Jessica and he chose her. And she doesn't want to be anyone's second choice. He reminds her that when she was kidnapped by her mother... They all thought she was dead, except for Wyatt, who never gave up on her. Wyatt was willing to give Jessica up to save him, but he knows for a fact that if Wyatt had had to give up Lucy, then he'd still be dead. And that has the ring of truth about it. He says it doesn't sound like anyone's second choice to him. This scene reminded me that, in Timeless as a whole, the Rufus and Lucy scenes were always good. There were far too few of them. They cross paths with a line of refugees headed towards Hungnam, who all need to evacuate today before the Chinese troops reach the port. The time team realise if they don't make it back to the lifeboat before dark, they might not make it out alive. Incidentally, they've put in the timeless flickerboard thing here, but the date shown is still 02 11 2012, 
exactly the same as in part one of The Miracle of Christmas. Anyway, they spot an army ambulance and think that would be better than walking. But it won't start. It's dead. Rufus says he's not sure dead is a forever thing with them. Rufus persuades Wyatt to help him fix it. Wyatt sees a church nearby and suggests to Lucy and Gia that they wait inside. Lucy starts to protest at being treated like women who can't help get the car started. He says it's more that they're starting to get frostbite, and they look nicer with ears. It is a fact that the weather was fiercely cold there at that time, and a lot of US troops suffered from frostbite, losing toes and such. Now might be a good moment to talk about my least favourite thing about this episode, and that is the very blue colour palette used in the cinematography, or I suppose more likely added in post-production. I get that it is supposed to convey how very cold it is there in Korea, and obviously they do need to get that across somehow, but honestly making everything blue, I'm not a big fan of it, and I don't think it works particularly well. Anyway, Lucy and Gia do go into the church, which is small, but there are some other men and women in there, mostly women. Gia confides to Lucy that she loves Rufus, but she's not the person he knew. Three years in Chinatown changed her, and she doesn't know if she can ever be the person she was again. One of the other women in the church tells them they need to be quiet, and that they are in danger here because there are spies everywhere. Lucy starts to give the name Rachel Maddow as her alias, but then she can't think who Gia would be, so she gives that up and says, they're Lucy and Gia. But she claims they're war correspondents, who got separated from their unit. A man sitting in the church looks at them suspiciously, and he gets up and leaves. The woman says her name is Yong-hee. She is heavily pregnant, so she's not evacuating, although her husband and son went to Hung Nam and she prays they are safely on the boat. She hopes the army will push the Chinese back and maybe in a few days this will all be over and her family can come home. But Lucy and Gia know that isn't going to be the case. The credits are on screen during this scene. This episode is written by Eric Lizanne Mittman. She previously wrote Season 1, Episodes 7 and 16, Stranded and The Red Scare. She co-wrote Season 2, Episode 1 with Tom Smuts, The War to End All Wars. And she co-wrote Season 2, Episode 8 with Lauren Greer. That was the day Reagan was shot. As I mentioned last time, the creators of the show, Sean Ryan and Derek Kripke, were also heavily involved in working out the story for this finale along with Arica and Lauren Greer. This episode is directed by John F. Showalter. He directed both parts of The Miracle of Christmas. He also directed four other episodes of Timeless. Season 1, Episode 10, The Capture of Benedict Arnold. Episode 12, The Murder of Jesse James. Season 2, Episode 3, Hollywood Land. And Episode 9, The General. In these podcasts, I've mainly talked about the actors, directors and writers and the music. But I think it's really clear that all the crew has been amazing on this show. 
in all the departments from the costume departments to the cinematography and the editing. Back outside the church, Wyatt and Rufus are talking. Rufus realises that Gia was a year younger than him, but now is two years older. But he says it's okay because he has a thing for older women, which started in middle school. This is kind of a weird thing for Rufus to say, because I think it has been established that Gia is very definitely younger than Rufus by more than just a year, as is the case in real life between Malcolm Barrett and Claudia Dumit. My theory, for which I have no evidence whatsoever, is that this was an ad-lib by Malcolm, and it was left in because it is funny. It just has that feel about it of Malcolm Barrett being mischievous. Anyway, Wyatt confesses to Rufus that Gia getting stuck in Chinatown was his fault, although that's more of an opinion than a fact. At the time, Rufus said he would never forgive him. Wyatt feels he has to tell Rufus this because he'd be lying otherwise. Rufus tries the engine again while he's thinking about this. The car starts and Rufus quickly decides that he forgives Wyatt. Given this is a Rufus who hasn't seen the mistakes that Wyatt made after Hollywood, I think it is completely believable that this Rufus would quickly forgive Wyatt. And in fact, I think the Rufus who died would also have forgiven Wyatt, although maybe not quite so easily. Heading towards the church, they see the man who was looking suspiciously at Lucy and Gia coming back with four soldiers. Wyatt and Rufus race into the church to tell Lucy and Gia they have to go, but Lucy says they have to take Yong Hee to Hung Nam, or she will never be reunited with her husband and son. Wyatt asks if she's important to history. Hung Nam is eight miles in the wrong direction. Lucy says everyone is important, and what's the point of saving history if they don't save the people in it? Gia says she wouldn't be here if her parents hadn't got out of Lebanon, which is a detail we didn't know about her, I think. And Rufus says he got a second chance. As the soldiers enter the church, the time team sneak out the back, taking Yong Hee with them, and they drive away in the army ambulance with bullets being fired at them. They manage to get away, but Wyatt says it's going to be difficult to get through the town, never mind to the port. There are so many people walking on the road there, trying to drive down. Yong-hee needs convincing that she should get on a boat, because that wasn't her plan. We cut to Emma Whitmore. She is looking at the same photos Agent Christopher saw, with Wyatt, Lucy, Rufus and Gia all killed. Merry Christmas to me, she says. She's admiring some jewellery, stolen I presume, and calls out to someone called Michael, one of her men. But then in walks not him, but Benjamin Cahill, Lucy Preston's father, who we haven't seen since the end of the first season. Emma looks genuinely shocked, and quite deferential towards Cahill. She says she didn't know he'd been released from prison. 
He says Rittenhouse always finds a way. She wants to know how he found her. He says he knows every Rittenhouse property. It took him a while to work his way down to this dump. She says they've had difficulties. He's not impressed that Rittenhouse has been reduced to this. He says she's greedy and selfish. She says she's been called worse. He says he came to say goodbye. Then in comes Agent Christopher to arrest her. Denise thanks Cahill. She says she couldn't have found this place without him. Emma tells Cahill he sold her out. What did they offer him? He says a chance to save Lucy. Also protection and immunity for his teenage son. He says it's a family thing, something she will never understand. There was a deleted scene which would have come earlier in this episode or possibly even in the episode before in which we would have seen Agent Christopher visit Cahill in prison to set up this deal for him. On balance, I think the surprise of seeing him is greater with just the second scene, so cutting that earlier scene makes a lot of sense to me. I was really surprised and delighted to see him when I first saw this episode. It's a satisfying plot twist to have Cahill come in and not exactly take back Rittenhouse from Emma, but certainly to take it away from her. Back in the army ambulance, it turns out Yong-hee is a history teacher. Lucy says she used to be a history teacher too. Yong-hee talks about how it is harder now that she is asked to teach propaganda rather than talk truthfully about history. She's having some pain which looks suspiciously like first contractions, but she dismisses it. And then the ambulance stalls. They're only a mile from the port, so Wyatt thinks they're best now to walk the rest of the way. Although there are concerns about whether Yong-hee is in any condition to do that, they start off walking, but very quickly they realise she is in labour. They sit her down next to an old shack. Wyatt reveals that he has delivered a baby before, in Afghanistan. Nothing went wrong that time. A healthy baby girl. Lucy says she can go to fetch a doctor from the MASH facility at the port. Wyatt says OK. She should go with Rufus, but to be careful because they are shelling the perimeter to keep the Chinese out. Lucy and Rufus arrive at the port. Great work by the special effects team here, with a shot of the port that lasts only a second or two, but makes this look like a big budget feature film. They locate a Colonel Forney and Dr. Hyung Bong Hok, the key men behind the evacuation operation, and they convince the doctor to go with them. Wyatt sends Gia back to the ambulance to see if there are any supplies there. He says they can't wait for the doctor any longer. Lucy is explaining how much further it is to the doctor when they see an explosion. They run the rest of the way with Lucy eventually seeing the site of the explosion, exactly where she'd left Wyatt. She screams Wyatt's name, utterly distraught and thinking he's been killed. If Lucy was unsure how she feels about Wyatt now, the depth of that scream probably makes it clear to her and to us. 
Fortunately, he then walks out from behind the shack, perfectly okay, and carrying Yong Hee's baby. They all make it back to the port, still marvelling that Wyatt managed to deliver the baby in a war zone. Lucy asks Wyatt what else she doesn't know about him. The time team still need to make it back to the lifeboat. Rufus says he'll try to get them a truck. To everyone's surprise, Yong Hee's family haven't left yet. They're reunited at the port and they are able to leave together. Lucy wishes them good luck. But Rufus comes back and tells them every vehicle left in the port has been rigged with explosives to be detonated as soon as they've all evacuated. So the team has no choice but to set off walking. They reach the town they were in before and find everyone has been killed, including the nuns. And they can hear gunfire nearby. They're surrounded with no way out, so they need to hide. And they go into the church. They all realise the situation is pretty dire. Wyatt says he will use every bullet left in his gun to try to save them. Rufus says he really doesn't want to die, again. If there is a god, he hopes he or she will save them. You'd think he or she would save the nun, though, right? I kind of love the writer for putting that in. Or Malcolm, if it was an ad-lib. You never know with him. In his timeline, I wonder if he still met Harriet Tubman. Anyway, the comment is funny and serious at the same time, and it makes Gia smile. Rufus is pleased that she still laughs at his jokes. He assures her there's no one he would rather face a bloodthirsty army of communists with. Wyatt sits down with Lucy and asks her what she's thinking about. She says, Flynn. The last thing he said to them was, If we all run off to save Rufus, who will save the world? She starts to say, If we all die tonight... Wyatt says he's not giving up yet. He guesses it's all up to fate. She smiles to hear him say that. They have history on that subject. She says for a moment she thought he'd died in that explosion. And her whole world ended. And she thought of all the time they'd wasted. And then she saw him alive again and she knew she'd fallen in love with him. She knew it at the Alamo and when he kissed her with Bonnie and Clyde and in Hollywood. Wyatt says he wanted to choose her, but he felt he owed something to Jessica. He wishes he could take it all back. She says Flynn already took it back, changed history, and the only thing standing between them is history only they remember. She doesn't care about the past anymore. All that matters is right now. They kiss, but then the sound of gunfire intensifies and some bells start ringing from somewhere. Wyatt goes to the door and tentatively looks out, and sees the mothership has landed out there, with Agent Christopher and Emma standing in front of it. Christopher runs towards them. They can't believe it. Christopher says she wasn't going to leave them to die at Christmas. Plus, she wanted to time travel at least once. No one is pleased to see Emma. She says she preferred Rufus when he was dead. She is in handcuffs, but unseen by them, she drops a pin from her sleeve into her hand and starts to unpick the lock. She gets free and tries to get back to the mothership, 
but Wyatt sees her and pulls his gun on her, as does Christopher. In a desperate attempt to dissuade them from killing her, she says, wait, she can bring Amy back. Lucy says she's lying. Emma says she only did it, supposedly made it impossible to bring Amy back, because Lucy's mother asked her to. She can undo it. She claims she admires Lucy and says Lucy just has to trust her. Lucy considers for a long moment and decides she doesn't trust Emma. She tells the others if she gets any closer to the mothership, they should shoot her. Lucy steps back from her, but then a shot is fired from somewhere else, hitting Emma. Troops start coming in from all around them. Wyatt and Christopher fire back as everyone scrambles into the mothership. They jump away safely, with only Emma left behind, lying in the snow, apparently killed. <laughs> We cut to Wyatt and Lucy, now in the lifeboat. It seems the team has split up. Rufus is piloting the mothership home with Gia and Agent Christopher. Uh, that time machine still requires a skilled pilot. While Wyatt and Lucy can use the autopilot to get the lifeboat home. Lucy wonders if their future selves came back to save Rufus so that he could save them all. Wyatt says maybe, or maybe they wanted things to turn out differently for the two of them. Wyatt helps her with the seat buckles. She smiles and says she thinks she can handle it by now. He says, oh, it's no problem at all, ma'am. She says, don't you call me ma'am. But it's all just gently making fun of each other. And it's a nice nod to the earliest episodes of the show. Wyatt says they can try to get Amy back now. They have both time machines. But Lucy says no. She says she's thought about this a lot. Look at all the awful things Flynn did to save his family. Look at what happened when Wyatt got Jessica back. She says she is so thankful that they saved Rufus, but it cost them Flynn. And if they're willing to use the time machine to get back the things that they've lost, no matter the price, then when will it end? They would be no better than her mother or Emma. Wyatt asks if she's sure she's okay with that. She says no, of course not. But everyone loses someone they love. And no matter how badly they want to, they can't get them back. And in spite of that, they find a way to go on. That's everyone's history. For me, it's a powerful message. This is a fantasy show, not real life. And you might expect a happier ending for Lucy and Amy. But it is true that we all have to come to terms with losses in our lives and find a way to go on. I think Lucy's decision here is unexpected, but it is believable for her as a character, and I think it's a terrific piece of writing. Wyatt sets the autopilot and says, looks like we'll be home for Christmas after all. Connor Mason is there to see it when both the mothership and the lifeboat arrive back in the bunker.
In the next scene, Rufus and Chia are celebrating having flown the mothership. Rufus says, too bad, it's being destroyed as we speak. Chia and Rufus are certainly more comfortable with each other again now. Chia says, maybe we haven't changed so much after all. Rufus is really glad to hear her say that. The realisation that their mission is over now is starting to set in. They've recovered the stolen mothership, stolen in the very first episode. Rittenhouse is defeated, so what will they do now? Rufus says they will have to get new jobs, but he can't exactly put Time Traveller on his resume. He also gets to see his family again. They think he died in the explosion at Mason Industries at the beginning of Season 2. He says he's making more comebacks than Elvis. He says he'll finally have to get his own place. Still, it was a lot of fun living together with Gia in the bunker. Yeah, she says, it had its moments. He says he's going to miss it, sort of. She wants to know if that's his awkward way of asking to move in with her. He asks if that's a yes. She says it is, and they fall out of camera shot, kissing. Lucy looks up what happened to Yong Hee and tells Wyatt she lived a long life, well into her eighties. Her daughter is a teacher, like she was, and has two children. She says it's all because of Wyatt. He says it's thanks to her. She's the one who said everyone is important. Maybe not to history, but to someone. They find they have ended up in each other's arms and beneath a sprig of mistletoe, left there by Agent Christopher. They don't need any more encouragement. Lucy realises it's the first time they've kissed in the present day, rather than in the past. They decide they should make up for lost time, and the kissing continues on the bed. It's a tough life being an actor. There is a deleted scene of Wyatt and Lucy the following morning. He has a Christmas present for her, a bauble from Hollywood. She hasn't managed to get anything for him. It's sweet, but it's not an essential scene. If they were looking for something to cut for time, it was a good choice to remove it. Everyone gathers one last time in the bunker. Denise is giving out scarves to everyone. Wyatt says she really shouldn't have. Lucy raises a glass. She can hardly believe it, but they won. They stopped Rittenhouse. Wyatt says Flynn would have been proud. Denise tells them that as of 0900 hours, they are all free to go, except for Wyatt, who has been assigned to special projects with her. He says there is no one he would rather report to. Denise is wearing a rather daring Christmas sweater made for her by her children. She thinks Connor is grumpy for not fully appreciating it. She confirms that the mothership has been destroyed, but the lifeboat will be kept under armed guard. A very wise man, that would be Connor, told her that if it's possible to build a time machine, then someone will build it. And so they will need a way to stop them. It's Rufus and Gia who pull the tarpaulin over the lifeboat, ready for storage. <laughs> And then we cut to five years into the future. The caption comes up, 
Palo Alto, California, December 21st, 2023. A Department of History building is seen in the background. A student is asking Lucy about Alice Paul and Grace Humiston. She tells the student not to forget to study the Harriet Tubman material. Another student asks why they're only studying women. Lucy says she meant to get to the men, but they ran out of time. I actually find it hard to believe that Lucy Preston would advocate talking only about women in her history class. But never mind. And then we see Wyatt and two little girls. The kids rush over to Lucy and we learn these are Wyatt and Lucy's children. Lucy has some news for Wyatt. She got tenure at the university, which of course is something she did not get way back in the pilot episode of Timeless. He says he's proud of her. They call to the kids and we learn their names are Flynn and Amy. It's quite a turnaround that Wyatt would be okay with his daughter being called Flynn. It shows that, in the eyes of the characters in the show, Flynn was completely redeemed in the end. And Amy, of course, is named after Lucy's sister. Wyatt asks Lucy if she's ready for this. She says she's as ready as she'll ever be. But before we find out what that means, we cut to Gia and Rufus, who are at a kids' science fair. Gia is looking like a very successful woman. Rufus is looking like Rufus. Gia says when they started Rhea Industries, she wanted to build a better future. But for Rufus, it was all about giving back to the community. He was just like these kids once. A girl is showing Rufus her exhibit, a laden jar... Rufus looks at it closely and says he's seen one before, but hers is better. Gia joins them and the girl excitedly asks for her autograph. Rufus wonders why no one asks for his autograph. She says because he wanted to be the mysterious one behind the scenes. Rufus tells her it's time to do the... She interrupts and says if anything happens to him... He says, hey, he's the man who came back from the dead. It seems he says this a lot. They're obviously very happy together. And if Chia was worried about how much she'd changed in Chinatown, it seems like things have turned out well for her, and for both of them. Then we see Agent Christopher joining Wyatt and Lucy, who are standing in front of the lifeboat in the bunker again. Denise is looking after Wyatt and Lucy's kids. Lucy says the kids are excited about their sleepover. When she told them they used to live here, the kids didn't believe her. Connor Mason arrives. They hug. Denise says something about Mason being under federal contract. Mason says it turns out he liked saving the world more than saving money. Christopher asks Wyatt and Lucy if they miss saving the world. Lucy says sometimes, but then they list off some of the more dangerous adventures they went on, ending with the Nazis. Denise asks if they're ready to do it one more time. Lucy says they have to, or all of this could disappear. And that's because there is one more dangling plot thread that needs to be addressed. In walk Rufus and Gia. 
He puts his hand up and says, Anyone need a pilot? They're all delighted to see each other. Lucy says Wyatt never told her they were coming. Wyatt says, Did she think they'd let her do this on her own? Rufus says, The three of them started this, so let's finish it. Lucy starts to say, If anything goes wrong, Wyatt says it won't. We get in and we get out. We've got this, Lucy. And then we see Garcia Flynn, sat at a bar, pouring himself a drink, clearly the latest of many. The caption comes up, Sao Paulo, Brazil, December 24th, 2014. Lucy approaches Flynn. Wyatt and Rufus are some distance away, but also in the bar. Lucy needs to be careful here because Flynn is an extremely dangerous man. She asks if the seat next to him is taken. In Portuguese, he says he doesn't speak English. She sits down anyway and says she knows that he does. She calls him Flynn. She tells him not to worry, she's a friend. Or she will be a friend. She says she knows about Rittenhouse. She knows what they did to his family. He says, who are you? She says she's Lucy Preston. She's from the year 2023. And she knows this is going to sound crazy, but someday the two of them are going to work together. Now, most people at this point would dismiss Lucy Preston as a mad woman. But Flynn already knows about Connor Mason and the time machine. He says... Connor Mason, he actually built it. He says he knew it. She says he was right, he was right about everything, more than he will ever know. She starts to say, but you, and then the headache starts. We know she can't stay here for long, but she carries on. She says he will have to sacrifice everything for a cause almost no one will believe in. The world will think he is a terrorist and a traitor. Even she will think that at first. He's trying to follow this. She says he is going to think he has lost his humanity. But he didn't. And he never will. He says, what about my family? With tears in her eyes, she tells him that he won't get them back. She's sorry. When she tells him this, his look says he's not just going to accept that. And I think that explains why he doesn't simply try to follow Lucy's plan in the early episodes. He's a hero, she promises him. Maybe the greatest hero of them all. But he's going to need her help. But her headache intensifies. She's out of time. She gives him her journal. She tells him that he's going to save history. She kisses him on the cheek and leaves. He opens the journal... And so the events of the Timeless series are set in motion. We get a montage of events from the series, set to the song Time After Time. Starting with a shot of Flynn that was filmed for the pilot but wasn't used until now. Ending with Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus arriving back in the bunker in 2023 and reunited with Gia, Denise and Connor. There is one last little scene... We're in the bedroom of the girl, Paulina, 
who previously was the one showing her science exhibit to Rufus at the science fair, who was smart enough for Rufus to take a particular interest in her exhibit. She's scribbling in a notebook, despite her mother calling out to her that it's time for dinner. The camera closes in on the notebook, and we see she's working on designs and the mathematics for a time machine. Clearly, Agent Christopher is wise to keep the lifeboat in storage. It might be needed for further adventures someday. And that's the end of the episode. If part one of The Miracle of Christmas was all about Flynn, Part 2 definitely has its focus back on Wyatt and Lucy, first and foremost, and getting Gia and Rufus back to a good place. But it's also working really hard to bring the story told across these 28 episodes to a conclusion. And to me, Timeless has ended up feeling like a really successful story across the whole of the series. It is a series that has had a limited number of episodes, but in some ways is all the more satisfying for that. Like any episode of Timeless, this one is telling a story about events in history that people might not know about. The events at Hung Nam, in this case. Because there wasn't a particularly famous person to build the story around, they make the point that everyone in history is important. And in doing that, they turn a possible story weakness into a strength. Which I think is a particularly impressive and appropriate thing to do in the last episode. It's interesting that parts 1 and 2 have such vastly different colour palettes from the stunningly beautiful 1848 setting of part 1 to the cold, muted colour palette of part 2. But at least the scenes in 2023 bring some lightness and warmth back into the closing moments of the episode. Rittenhouse does rather go out with a whimper, they are essentially already beaten, I think, at the end of episode 10 when Emma takes over. She just doesn't know it yet. She thinks if you have a time machine, then you're invincible. But she really doesn't have what it takes to lead Rittenhouse for any higher purpose beyond getting rich and powerful. And so the organisation essentially self-destructs from the inside. It is true to say that Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus do not have much of a role to play in the final demise of Rittenhouse here. But Agent Christopher does. Very much so. It might be a little bit lacking in drama at the end, but overall I think I feel pretty satisfied with it. I enjoyed seeing Ben Cahill again, and that really drives home that it was family and birthright that was motivating him. Emma is left for dead in 1950 Korea, but I'm sure there is potential for her to survive if Timeless should ever return to our screens. Lucy's acceptance that she can't bring back Amy, or rather that the cost of trying to do so would be too high, mirrors Flynn's inability to save his family. If she'd come to this decision earlier in the story, it wouldn't have been convincing. But after everything they've been through, the negative outcomes they've seen when they've tried to manipulate time for their own advantage, it becomes entirely believable. 
I do think across the whole of The Miracle of Christmas there was too little for Rufus, although he has more to do in this episode than in the first part. The fact that he came back from a time where a large part of season two didn't happen feels weird. If you take the view that we only got Rufus back by sacrificing Flynn, that the writers essentially swapped one for the other, then you can see why the Flynn fans were unhappy. But I think Flynn's fate is not really about Rufus. Flynn's story is Flynn's story, and I think it is satisfying for the reasons I went into at length in the last podcast. I did not expect the shift forward in time to 2023, but I liked it. It forms a nice kind of coda to the whole story. We don't learn anything new about the missions Wyatt must have been on, reporting to Agent Christopher, but we do get to see happy future lives for Wyatt, Lucy, Rufus and Gia, and even a more enlightened career path for Connor. There is a huge contrast between the bitter, jaded future versions of Wyatt and Lucy that we saw and the happy versions that we have here, both of which came from different versions of the year 2023. It was absolutely essential, in my opinion, to see Lucy passing the journal to Flynn. Apparently it was Eric Kripke that really pushed for this scene to be included. I loved the way this scene delivered what it needed to. I liked that Flynn believed her immediately, and I particularly liked that it was Lucy's headaches that limited her ability to explain anything to him at greater length. I was not expecting to see Wyatt and Rufus lurking in the background, but I didn't object to it. Overall, I think they did a spectacularly great job with these last two episodes. The story feels complete now, At the same time, there's always potential for more stories to be told. Before I wrap up, I wanted to say something about timeless as a whole. My first motivation for doing this podcast was to focus on the story and to look at how episodic TV works, and to try to learn something about storytelling. Timeless seemed to me to be an underrated show, although I don't want to suggest that too strongly, because it was watched by millions of people. I wanted to try to look at why I thought the show worked so well. If you look back at the earliest episodes now, you see characters who are the same, but who grew and developed over the two seasons. I think Lucy Preston is not the kind of kick-ass heroine that we see everywhere now in books and movies. She grows into that role to an extent, but if anything you worry for her as she does, as she becomes ever more desperate and battered by the things she goes through. But in the beginning she is this very straight, clumsy person, not at all suited to what she's being asked to do. I think that alone was a really brave writing choice by Ryan and Kripke. You can also see in the pilot that Wyatt and Lucy have a chemistry. As characters, they are interested in each other. It might just be a momentary glance from one to the other, but it's there. 
and Wyatt never looked down on her. He never thinks he's better than her. He doesn't behave crassly and then redeem himself later, as you might expect a stock military man to do. He's a good guy from the start. Of course, in fiction, you have to torture the good guy. Otherwise, there is no drama. And boy, is Wyatt tortured. Rufus and Gia, I think it's a more direct love story. They're clearly perfect for each other from the get-go, but they have to work that out for themselves. They're geeks, and I think the audience responds to them because of that. Rufus is incredibly brave, in a similar way to Lucy. He's not as convinced that he should be involved in any of this, but he's the one who can fly the time machine, so he feels a duty to do it. He was an incredibly smart kid who was given an opportunity by Connor Mason. He wants to live up to that and not let anyone down. Gia's role just grows and grows as the series goes on, becoming his equal and possibly even overtaking him. It's telling that when we see them in the future of 2023, he's the quiet one in the background doing the science, while she's the dynamic one in the foreground. It's subtly done and very powerful. All in all, I think it's remarkable how the original premise of the show has been expanded and fulfilled across the series as a whole. If you only looked at the social media headlines about Timeless, you might be forgiven for thinking it wasn't a success. But just because a show struggles to get the funding to keep getting made, that's not the same thing as whether it is successful or not. Timeless is watched by millions of people across the world. It has fans who think the world of it, and it told a great story, which is what episodic TV strives to do. NBC, who aired Timeless in the USA, have been heavily criticised for not giving the show the platform that it needed and deserved. This was a network show launching at a time when streaming was taking over, at least for this kind of genre show. A streaming platform might have been ecstatic with the kind of viewing figures that Timeless had. But for NBC it was different. Their business model is different and their interest in genre is questionable when they will quite happily air a talent show instead. NBC have tried some other genre shows since, but they've been nowhere near the standard of Timeless and haven't done as well in the ratings. They should have put Timeless into a great time slot and advertise the hell out of it. But if you hide away your best show, the show doesn't have much of a chance. But somehow 28 episodes did get made, and they tell an amazing story that I think will have a lasting impact. So, uh, what are the chances of more episodes? Well, there is clearly a lot of enthusiasm for Timeless from Sony, who produced it. They've tried to shop it around with other networks and the streamers. Ultimately, I think it will depend on whether there is a continuing demand for the existing episodes. If the number of downloads is high, then momentum for more could continue to build. The cast continues to show their love for the show in interviews and on social media. It's also true that the TV industry is in a period of huge transformation, and that means there is a lot of opportunity out there. Even at NBC, it would only take a few new people to come into that company, and then things could change.
Fans also talk about wanting to see novels, comic books, audio dramas. All of these could be a route to news stories. There is a lot of fan fiction out there, so there is clearly an appetite for more timeless. Novels are my thing, so that would interest me the most. We could see stories moving beyond the end of the series in 2023, or there are gaps within the series that could be filled in, such as Jia's Years in Chinatown. I'd read that book. Lucy's time with her mother when they tried to bring her into Rittenhouse. Could be a lot of fun to see stories set within the series so far. All of which brings me to the end of my podcasts on the episodes of Timeless. Although, it is entirely possible that I might have more to say about the series at some point in the future. All the podcast episodes will be online at least until October 2020. Download them would be my advice. I am considering a continuation of the Timeless Files podcast As a title, it could work for a podcast that moved into other areas, not just Timeless. I think that could be a good way to keep the podcast going and to keep all the existing episodes online, but I'll have to see. It is gratifying that I do continue to see episodes of the podcast being downloaded almost every day. In some ways, I think if the podcast had had a team of two or three presenters, it might have been more successful. But I've found it very rewarding to do, and I think I've learned a lot about writing and storytelling and podcasting. It's been fun. There are a couple of resources that have been useful to me while making this podcast, so I wanted to give them a quick mention. There is a site called springfieldspringfield.co.uk, which has transcripts of the Timeless episodes. Occasionally, if I was unsure of a line of dialogue, I was able to look it up on there. So thank you to them. Also, there is a Timeless Wiki at timeless.fandom.com, which I referred to if I needed to check my facts sometimes. If you have enjoyed listening, I've never asked for any donations or anything like that. This whole project was done to share my enjoyment of the show. If you did want to push any goodwill in my direction, I am a writer with a couple of books available to buy, which I think could be of interest to fans of Timeless. I wrote a novel called Any Time Now, which features a time traveller who comes back from the future to the present day, meets a lonely widow, which all leads to thrills and romance. Uh, My other book is a novella called The Flight of the Ravens, This is a gothic fantasy romp set mostly in 1899 in Amsterdam with demons and magic, a damaged but determined heroine, fire giants and Odin's raven. What more could you want? You can find out more about my fiction at cbutlerwrites.wordpress.com If you want to listen to any of the previous podcast episodes, they are all available on the site timelessfiles.podbean.com or in all the usual podcasting places including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, TuneIn and Spotify. And you can find me on Twitter at at timelessfiles or at cbutlerwrites. Thanks for listening. I'll leave you today with a short tribute to Robert Duncan and his phenomenal soundtrack for Timeless. Bye for now.